I think a lot of you have been taught by Miss Ellen, so I think you'll be pretty smart too. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Um, a wonderful actress, Fiona, is at the back of the church today. Well done, Fiona. <laughs> you heard cats. Uh, show, show of hands, did anyone get five out of five of those questions? Ah, oh, so you didn't do better than Fiona. There you go. Did anyone get three out of five? There's some embarrassed hands. Anyway, <laughs> let's dive into our sermon. Please pray for me as I pray for you. Loving Lord God, we thank you for this special day. In the life of Ramus and in the life of your church, please bless us as we seek to understand your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard of a sea squirt. A sea squirt is a small um, fish-type thing that lives in the sea and it cruises around the oceans. Um, it has a wonderful life. It reproduces. Uh, but then, suddenly, later in life, it finds a piece of coral, it clings to the coral, and it never does anything else, except it slowly eats its own brain and goes into a vegetative state. Sadly, from the picture at the bottom, there are people who live life a little bit like a sea squirt. And sometimes there are communities and even churches that end up having a life a little bit like a sea squirt. Now, our passage today is an honest chat with people who are in danger of becoming sea squirts. God says through Jeremiah, My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil and know not how to do good. It's heavy stuff. And we got heavy readings this morning. But that's the reason that we appeal to the Bible, because it corrects us and it helps us to avoid becoming sea squirts. Now you may be thinking, what has this passage got to do with me? I'm not a 2,500 year old Bible person. Well friends, peering into this passage, there are some eerie parallels between the people Jeremiah was speaking to and us today. Jeremiah warns the people, he says, At that time my people in Jerusalem will be told a scorching wind from the barren heights in the desert blows towards my people. In Jeremiah's time, people had become complacent. They were self-satisfied and, and feeling rather happy with themselves, forgetting God completely. At the same time, a mighty enemy, Babylon from the north, was growing and slowly gobbling up all sorts of kingdoms, to the north. So when we hear of foreign nations flexing their muscles to our north, the north of our little country, we realize that times are not so different today. And I think people are just as inward looking today. The people aren't ready for this powerful enemy slowly growing in influence. And so Jeremiah says, tell this to the nations, proclaim it to Jerusalem. A besieging army is coming from a distant land, 
raising a war cry against the cities of Judah. Judah was the kingdom where Jeremiah lived. The people have become like sea squirts, so inward-looking that they can't see the world around them. More than that, they think God, if God still exists, must be okay with them, and their actions don't matter, but they do. See, friends, this is the nature of sin. It makes us into sea squirts. It's destructive and makes our world smaller and darker. And so Jeremiah shares this vision that he's given. He says, I've looked at the earth and it was formless and empty and the heavens and their light was gone. I looked in the mountains and they were quaking and the hills were swaying. I looked and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. It's poetry. And in this poetic way, Jeremiah shows us how evil deconstructs. The words formless and empty take us back to the beginning of the Bible where the same words are described to describe the beginning of the world, formless and empty. Jeremiah is warning his people that their sin is undoing the world. The vision could also be a battlefield. Jeremiah, in his mind's eye, sees the destruction coming his way. And why is this destruction coming? Here in Jeremiah 11, it's because of the sin of the people. He says, your own conduct and actions have brought this upon you. This is your punishment. How bitter it is. How it pierces the heart. The people have brought this on themselves. All that's sad and wrong with the world is the result of darkness and evil that someone somewhere has brought into it. About a thousand, sorry, about a hundred years ago, um, the Times newspaper in England asked its readers to write essays in response to the question, what's wrong with the world? The great Catholic author, G.K. Chesterton, who'd written huge, long books, wrote a simple reply. He says, dear sirs, I am. What's wrong with the world? I am. And strangely, this sounds bleak, but it's the thin thread of hope that, for, that we find in this part of the Bible. It's the hope that we don't need to do life by ourselves. You see, confessing your sins isn't hopeless, it is hopeful. Jeremiah says to his people, O Jerusalem, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. How long will you harbor wicked thoughts? This is a call to come home. It's a call to washing and to baptism. It's a call away from becoming a sea squirt and becoming something else. And while in Jeremiah's day the people didn't change, they didn't turn, there were a remnant, there were a small group of people that kept telling their children about God and about God's goodness, that kept washing themselves ceremonially before prayer. And this became what we know as baptism. This remnant of people had faith. They trusted that one day God would send a serpent crusher who would deal once and for all with sin. And as I was thinking about this, um, I, I went home on, um, on Sunday, on Sunday afternoon. I was thinking about this and how 
God was calling his people back to him in Jeremiah and how sin was such a big problem, keeping them from God. And I saw this guy. Oh, dear. The picture didn't make it. I was, I was walking home and there was this big black snake at the bottom of the steps to our house. Um, and I did a double take. Um, and then I thought, well, I can't have this big black snake around my family. And so I ran to the shed and grabbed the nearest shovel and whacked the stake twice. Now, I'm not, I'm not a good fighter. I'm more of a lover. <laughs> and so, of course, the snake um, hissed at me and then slithered under the house. <laughs> and I spent the rest of the day worrying about when the snake was going to slither out and bite me <laughs> and get revenge. Then on Monday, I came home for lunch, and I saw again Mr. Snake sunning himself outside my house. And instead of reaching for the shovel this time, I reached for my phone and called the snake catcher. He came in five minutes with his scooper thing and his bag thing, and within 30 seconds, the snake was in the bag. And he said to me, oh, it's... Um, it's a, it's a blue belly black snake. And I went, oh, thank goodness it wasn't a red belly black snake. And he's like, actually, the blue belly black snake is more dangerous than the red belly. <laughs> so there's, there's a trap for young players. But this got me thinking again. This is exactly what we so often do with sin. We let it sleep in our houses. We sweep it under the floorboards. Or we try to deal with it ourselves. We try to hit it with guilt, or we try to hit it with cold turkey. And so often, sin just wriggles deeper, creating a bigger problem in our lives. What we need, friends, is the snake catcher. You see, 2,000 years ago, that small remnant of people saw God's promises fulfilled. They saw a small baby come into the world, and his name was Jesus. He grew up like the kids around him. He skinned his knee. He exasperated his parents by getting lost. He cried. He wept. And he learned a trade. And he became a carpenter. But Jesus was different in that he lived totally from God, for God. He lived a life without sin. And at age 30, he became a wandering preacher. And his message was, repent. Turn back. Turn back to God and wash your sin away. Jesus fed the hungry, he healed the sick, and he forgave people their sins. This made him popular with some, but got others cross. And so that's why in our second reading, Jesus is talking about a baptism, a baptism of fire, because he could see his death coming. He could see the bullies, the powerful bullies around him closing in, and finally they did. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a Roman cross, and it seemed like all hope was lost. It seemed like the hope of a snake crusher was gone. But then three days later, if you know the story, when some women went to finish burying Jesus' body, they found the cave where they had laid him empty, and Jesus alive. 
You see, Jesus is the snake crusher. He died and rose again to crush the serpent and to show the world that he alone has the power to deal with our sin. And this is why, friends, baptism is so special. And this is why, friends, what Ramus's parents are doing for him is so special. What Talia and Travis are doing for their little boy is life-changing. They're saying, I need help. I need God to wash my sin away, to get rid of my old self. And I know that through this baptism, I with Jesus will rise to new life. So friends, if you're not baptized yet, I encourage you to think about it. Jesus is waiting with open arms to receive you into his family. And if you are baptized, then I want to encourage you to live with a baptized imagination. Like a husband and wife, make promises on their wedding day and then work to keep those promises for the rest of their lives. We are to keep our baptismal promises front and center of who we are. We need to live like Jesus, feeding the hungry, praying for the sick and giving hope to the hopeless. We need to be generous with our finances, giving to missionaries, community organizations and churches that work to build the kingdom of God. We need to live with a baptized imagination, remembering Jesus has died for us every day and living out of gratitude for this, telling others about what Jesus has done for us. We need to commit to living like Jesus, loving God with our whole heart and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And we need to gather weekly with God's people to study God's word, to pray and to remember Jesus, his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. So friends, don't be a sea squirt, letting sin control your life and consume you. Live with a baptized imagination, letting God's goodness flow through you always. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, it's now time for our baptism ceremony. So I'd like to invite um, Ramus Gary Babington. Oh, that that didn't work. Babington <laughs> up uh, along with parents and godparents. That was that was a shocker. Can you guys come up, please? <laughs> Sorry, not all the words are so misspelt. Parents and godparents, you've come to bring Ramus for baptism. And so I've got some important questions.